Sebastian. Do you like that, that Edison jerk? Wink. That's pretty good. For you. Oh, you do it. Can you do that again? Which way do you want it? It's pretty nice. Well, you know, the dance contest is coming up, and we also have the science fair coming up. And I I've decided this year I'm entering the science fair. No way. Are you really? My, Are you just teasing? Well, here's my project. Wow. Tell me about it. Well. What's your hypothesis? I can't tell you about it unless you put on safety glasses. Yeah, <coughs> I can do that. Oh, you look nice. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Okay. This is my science fair project, okay. <clears throat> and uh, I would show you, but I don't have safety glasses. Oh my God. <laughs> I'll close my no, no, that's all right. No, actually, I have been inventing the smell of a century. <laughs> and I need glasses for that, not nose plugs. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> trying to figure this out. Would you like to smell it? <laughs> Well, I'm, hmm. <laughs> sure. Take, take some time okay. to think about it. But let me just say, this is a flask, and uh -huh. it has a rubber stopper, and the rubber stopper keeps whatever smells inside here inside here until you decide. I decide. But if you decide you want to find out what my science fair smells like, you should first come up with a hypothesis. Do you think it smells good? I don't Do you think, think it smells it good. could smell better? <laughs> Do you think it smells disgusting? I think it smells disgusting. <laughs> I love your faith in me. <laughs> am I right or am I wrong? Well, you know, it, it could be a matter of opinion. <laughs> I'm concerned. But you know, when you're doing research, you, you want to have a certain result, but science gives you what it gives you. And that's why we do research, so we can find out what we got. <laughs> so the smell has now been invented, and it's been collected in this flask. Okay. And if you'd like to, we could let you judge the smell for yourself. <laughs> I would like to. Okay. Let the records show that she did agree to smell it. And she's assuming all liability. Okay, so all you have to do is you just pull the stopper. And, you know, some of the students probably haven't had chemistry yet. Wait, wait come back. Wait a minute. Here. In chemistry, you don't just unstop it and smell it. Because some smells like acids and very strong, they can burn you. 
you know, you, you don't do that. So what you do is you take it off and then you wisp it in like this. That's what you learn in chemistry. I learned that. Yeah. And that way, if it's a real nasty acidic smell or something, you won't hurt you. And then if it's not burning you, you can try smelling a little closer until you can actually what have you done? judge the smell. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> without further ado, I would like to present the smell of the century okay. to Dr. Peje Monet, who will be doing a preliminary judgment for us. Okay. <laughs> so what do you think? I think you're teasing me. <laughs> smells like rubber. Smells like rubber? Yeah, the top. No, but I mean, what does it smell like in the flask? It smells like air. <laughs> Maybe I made an air. <laughs> <laughs> Did you actually put something in there? Well, I'm still working on it. <laughs> the good news is there's still time to finish your science fair projects. And I'm just grateful that you didn't dislike it. That's, that's good. And be sure to wear safety glasses, right? Okay. No, but the science fair is coming up. When it starts turning into spring, it means it's getting science right. fair time. And we really need to work on them this year's science fair. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. In case you make a smell that I would enjoy. <laughs> Thank you. Could be hydrogen. You know, hydrogen is odorless. It wasn't, though, was it? <laughs> <laughs> but one thing about hydrogen <clears throat> is the molecules are so small because the atoms are so small that even though you can't smell it, if you breathe it and then talk, it's not like Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Yeah, because Why? your vocal cords vibrate to make your voice, mm -hmm. and they vibrate in air. As air goes by them, it makes them vibrate. But if the air is hydrogen with very small atoms, they vibrate much faster. So you have a real high high, high pitch. If you use helium, like a helium balloon, it makes you have a high voice like Mickey Mouse. But if you use hydrogen, it's even smaller, and you sound like Minnie Mouse. <laughs> Way up there. Okay. And does it make, you said it makes... Um... Can't hear you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That too. Tell us yeah. about that. Yeah, years ago, some, some drillers for gas told me that they had drilled a hole out in Kansas and their, their drilling rig hit a pocket of gas. That's what they look for. They look for natural gas that they can then bring in and use to keep homes warm and generate electricity. But when they got this gas, it was, it was different than most natural gas. And the way they found out, they thought, oh, we got a nice big gas well here. So when they, when they find gas, they do what they call finishing the well. They put a pipe down in it, they pump concrete down through the pipe, and it comes up around the outside, and when it sets up, it holds it real tight. And then they drop a, it's, it's like a shotgun on a cord. They drop it down in the hole right to the level where the gas is, and they fire the shotgun, it makes a hole in the wall in the pipe. They call that perforating the pipe, and then the gas can get out, right? So they 
they put the pipe in, they pumped the concrete down in, and then they went home overnight to let the concrete become hard. The next morning when they went back, the concrete was still runny. It hadn't hardened like concrete. It stayed runny. And so they decided it must be bad concrete. So they ordered another truck of cement, and the concrete came, they pumped it down, and when the old concrete from yesterday came out, it immediately went hard. I thought, that's strange. It's very, very strange. So they asked the concrete com company what was going on, and they found out that the reason it hadn't hardened was because it wasn't natural gas. It was hydrogen. And hydrogen is not an oxidizer, it's a reducer. And in a hydrogen atmosphere, normal concrete won't get hard. So they got some special concrete with a hardening agent, and they got well completed. And then they came to see me, and they said, guess what? We have discovered a huge underground deposit of hydrogen. And I said, that's impossible. Mm. That can't be true. And you know why it can't be true? Hydrogen has such a small atom that if there was some that formed underground thousands and tens of thousands of years ago, it would have leaked out through the soil and gone into the atmosphere. So if there had been some, it would be gone by now. And they said, no, it's there. There's a lot of gas. And I said, well, I got to see this. So I drove out to Kansas, and I went out to their well, and they had the pipe, and on top of the pipe they had a little valve that they could open, and it had a pressure gauge. And so they opened the valve, and this gas started coming out, and I smelled it, and it had no smell. Could have been a tease, <laughs> or it could have been hydrogen. And I didn't have any chemistry lab. I didn't want to light a fire if it was hydrogen. We did not need a fire right there. I needed a way to find out what it was. And so what I did is I put my ear over into the gas coming out, and I listened to it. And it was really interesting because when the hydrogen went into my ear, inside the ear we had these little hairs that vibrate, and they stimulate a nerve and send electricity to the brain, and the hairs are different lengths. So if it's a high frequency, then the real short one vibrates. If it's a low sound, then the long ones vibrate. And so I listened, and the hydrogen went in my ear, and then everything sounded like Mickey Mouse. It made everything sound funny. And I knew that because I'd already had that happen in my chemistry lab with hydrogen. Got a hydrogen in my ear. Oh, that's really different. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I knew it was hydrogen. And they had a really, really interesting discovery. Think about that, naturally occurring hydrogen. But it couldn't be there because natural gas and oil came from plants and, and microorganisms that died tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of years ago. And by now, all the hydrogen would have gone out into the atmosphere. So I became very interested, and we entered into an agreement, and we got a big drill rig, and we went and started drilling a whole bunch of holes to see how big this hydrogen bubble was. And it eventually turned out that we found gas 
in all of the holes we drilled in 110,000 acres. So it's a giant gas bubble. And they were all hydrogen. But the interesting thing was that as the drill rig was going down in the ground, it had hit a layer of rock. It'd be softer, and then it hit rock. And when it got through the rock, right below the rock formation, it'd be a big pocket of hydrogen. Then it'd drill down further and hit another rock layer. And right below the rock was another layer of hydrogen. And all the way down, below every rock layer, we found hydrogen which proves the hydrogen was slowly leaking out, diffusing through the rock, but it was apparently being replenished. And the geologist at uh, KU, at Kansas University, said that below where we were dr drilling was an ancient mountain formation about the same age as the Sierra Nevada mountains in California and Nevada. And those are the mountains where they had the gold rush. There's a lot of gold there. When you get down deep in the earth, it gets hot. It gets hot because you're getting closer to the mantle of the earth, to the molten core. And his theory was that the hot energy inside the earth was heating up water and on the surface of the precious metal, it was being catalyzed, and it was actually forming the hydrogen. And he says, so the hydrogen is constantly being formed. It's leaking out slowly, but each layer is trapping it. And he says, if you could tap that, you'd have enough hydrogen to last thousands of years could just keep making it. And you know, I think that's really fun. It's not too far from Kansas City. It sure isn't. In fact, did you know that Kansas was named after Kansas City? <laughs> I didn't know that. I made that up. <laughs> but you know which comes first, Kansas yeah. or Kansas City? Kansas City, Missouri. Jeez. Yeah. <clears throat> so you were saying that the the cement, the concrete didn't form because hydrogen is a it reducer. It formed. It didn't set up. didn't set up. Mm -hmm. And what do you mean by a A form is when you put a mold and then you put the concrete in and it holds it in the shape till it sets up. Yeah? Right? That, okay. I just want them to form the correct opinion. <laughs> That's right. Yes. I'm dodging your question. Oh, <laughs> okay. I can oh, ask a different one. Oh, did you have a question? No. no. Um, the other question we have is... Oh, she's... <laughs> I, can, I can be nice. <laughs> We're being... This is a social moment. We yes. have much excitement in the science fair, and they're wondering how they participate because they don't know. Okay, well, here's the deal. It was a hydrogen well. <laughs> it was hydrogen in the ground, and you're changing the subject. But we have to talk about the science fair because it's very important. We'll get back to it, okay? Okay. Just time out. Okay. Okay, because we're talking hydrogen. Can you imagine having this giant source of underground hydrogen? <clears throat> and the hydrogen can be transported through an underground pipeline. Yeah. So we can bring <clears throat> enough hydrogen out from this big bubble underground out in Kansas to run Kansas City for thousands of years. I think we should do it. We definitely should do it. Mm -hmm. Then we could have thousands of science fairs. <laughs> I should, yeah. And, and you know, it really is something I'm pretty excited about doing. Yeah. Um, naturally occurring hydrogens, it's kind of rare. And when we took the gas to the laboratory and analyzed it, it was mostly hydrogen, 
but it had a little bit of impurities, but one of the, one of the impurities was helium. And as you know, helium is what we use to fill up our balloons. Helium is a, a product that is, is pretty valuable. And uh, Kansas is one of the main places that helium comes from. So could be fun. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get back to science fair. So uh, Joshua's been asking if he could have a few minutes to tell everyone about the science fair. He's been and really wanting to. I know he has. Should we, should we let him do it? Joshua. Uh, do you want to come tell us about the science fair this year? Let's hear it for Mr. Joshua. Well, the science fair deadline is coming up quickly in April, so it's time to be getting your project figured out. Uh, the deadline coming up is April 27th, and if you go to Neighbors uh, and then click the science fair button, you'll find the instructions on how to enter the science fair and uh, there's details on there, and then you'll be able to upload your project right on Acellus Neighbors. And the way that it works is when you complete your project, you film a short video of you presenting it, talking about your hypothesis, and then what your result was, and then you upload that video with a little <clears throat> write-up and description, and then that will go into our judges. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> so how do they get on Neighbors? They, if you sign into Acellus as a student, you'll see a button up on your student dashboard uh, to go over to Neighbors. And there's a button that says Science Fair. And is that only on Acellus Academy? Mm -hmm. What about Power Home School? And oh, and, and Power Home School as well. Okay, thank you. And if they're on Acellus somewhere else, they can find it at? Neighbors.acellus.com. And there it is. And any Acellus ID uh, student ID should let them get into. That's right. Acellus dot neighbors dot com, and those dots are periods, aren't they? That's right. All right, thank you. There we have it. We're oh, going to have a great science fair. Speaking of science, I do have a serious invention. You know, you have to have this. It's a semi-serious invention. You have to have an invention to do the science fair, but sometimes the invention is just figuring out how something works, figuring out whether or not plants are gonna grow a certain way or whatever. My first science fair, my project was seeing if I could make seeds germinate better. And uh, it was a fun project, I learned a lot. I have here a model of the sun, the earth, and the moon. And if, if this thing turns around, the moon, goes around the Earth, and the Earth goes around the Sun, which of course is what happens. But the interesting thing about this particular model is that it can explain uh, why the moon is full sometimes, why we have a crescent moon or a half moon, and uh, I just think it's kind of neat to see. If you were the camera, and if the Earth was behind the Sun and the Moon was behind the Earth, like this, let's see if I aim right at this camera. There we go. Can you see? Can you see the Moon? Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. And obviously you can't because it's behind the Sun. And if you look, the Moon is right behind the Earth, so the Sun wouldn't be able to shine on the Moon because the Earth is shadowing it, and this would be called an eclipse. Normally, the moon is out a little bit to the side 
And so as the sun shines by the earth, it hits the moon and reflects back to the dark side of the earth. Remember, the side away from the sun is the dark side, and so we can see it. Now, why is it sometimes full? Why is it crescent? If the moon is between the earth and the moon, like so, the sun is lighting up the face of the moon that we can't see. We can only see the back. It's lighting up the earth, so that means we see the moon during daytime. And as it gets over the side and starts getting a little bit darker, we can see the moon in the morning or the evening. But now just imagine, when we look at the moon from our angle, the moon is, is shadowed. This side is all light, but we can only see this side, so it looks like just a little bit's light. So it's the position that determines whether it's crescent or whatever. When we see a full moon, it means the moon is all the way out behind the Earth, except it's a little bit off the side, lower, higher, so that all of it's lit up. And when it's dark on the Earth, we look out, we see the moon, it looks like a full moon. All right, but that's not my invention. What's your invention? I invented kind of what John was talking about tonight. I invented gravity. <laughs> Not, yeah? Gravity actually was around. Okay. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton found discovered it. Yeah, he found it. it. He didn't make it, though. It was already there. Uh -huh. I invented gravity power. <laughs> and tell me more. Yeah. And, and I'm, it's kind of cool. What if I could make a machine that was powered by gravity? That would be awesome. That would be really neat, wouldn't it? And might not be you know, a big aircraft carrier or anything, maybe it'd just be a clock. Yeah. You know, because I'm just inventing. Mm -hmm. But think about it for a minute. <clears throat> On the Earth, we have a thing called the tides. And if you live by the ocean, when the tides come in, the water goes way up. And when the tides go out, the water goes way down. And in some places, the shoreline moves way, 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 way out. And then when the tides come back in, they come back in. Well, what makes all that water move? Can you imagine how much energy it would take to pump all that water? <laughs> and it's moved by the tides. Well, the tides happen to be caused by gravity, by the attraction of the moon pulling the water from Earth and the sun pulling the water from Earth. Now, as we go around, <clears throat> the sun is always pulling on us. But the moon is in a different position every day. For 20, it takes 28 days for the moon to go around the Earth. So it's in a different position. <clears throat> and so if the moon has gravity, and if the water on, on the Earth and the oceans and so forth is fluid, liquid, well, then it's going to get pulled towards the moon. So where the moon is, the water's going to be pulled that way and it'll make the tides rise. Does that make sense? And if the moon and the sun get lined up together, then we're going to have a real high tide because you're getting the gravity from both of them. Okay? And you get a little bit of micro gravity effect from the other planets. But they're so far away, they don't have too much effect. So let's think about that a minute. So what that says is, as the moon goes around, when it's overhead, it gets stronger, and it gets weaker, and it gets stronger and weaker as 
the Earth turns around under the moon. Because the moon's going around us once every 28 days, but the Earth's going around every 24 hours, at least where I live. <laughs> okay? So what if I could have, John was talking about his gravity detector to map mm -hmm. things underground. Well, what if we just had a big old weight that could be pulled down harder and softer depending on the gravity pull? We could actually use that to capture some energy, couldn't we? They need. Now, if you built a big dam, like there are places on the ocean where there's a large channel that goes in and the tide pulls an enormous amount of water up. It's like a rushing river running up these narrow channels from the ocean. And then when the, gra uh, when the tide turns around, it's like a river flowing the other direction. You put a dam there, you can actually get power just from the water going back and forth. So it is actually a feasible idea. Now, I have a watch. Yep. You want to watch this? I want to watch okay. this. <laughs> See if I can take it off. I'm watching. Okay, let me just show you this watch. This is kind of a fun watch. Can you see that a little bit? Mm -hmm. This happens to be a real heavy watch. That's why I'm so strong. <laughs> because it's made out of a, a metal called gold. Mm -hmm. And gold is, is pretty dense. It's also pretty. It's pretty and it's pretty dense both. This gold watch happens to be a brand called a Rolex. And oh, look, we're getting a nice picture of it there. Can you see that Rolex? Mm. And it looks like it might be upside down. Man. And by science magic, I was able to <laughs> turn science it over. Science magic. There we go. Mm. All right, so now you can see it better, can't mm -hmm. you? OK, so this Rolex watch has gold, and it happens to have some little diamonds on it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, a fancy watch, which is one of the reasons I think it's so pretty. And it has a gold band, too. This watch is interesting because it has writing on the back. And I don't think you'll be able to see the writing in detail. Well, boy, it's amazing when you see it that camera. But the writing on here is a, uh, a tribute that was put on here by the people that gave me this watch. Mm -hmm. And when I started my first company, after I'd been mentoring with Bill Lear, I called it Billings Energy Corporation. And this company went public, and people bought stock in the company. And it, the stock came out at a whopping 10 cents a share. So if you had a dime, you could buy a share. If you had, I had one of my school teachers uh, spent $2,000 and got 20,000 shares. I thought, boy, he's got a lot of confidence in my company. <laughs> but uh, a few years later, the stock went all the way up to $23 a share. And my uh, school teacher retired off of selling his billing stock. But the, a, a group of the investors that bought stock in this company and then they were able to later on sell it for quite a bit more, uh, gave me this watch as a thank you gift because they said that they came out real good on their investment. And so I wear it as a reminder of what you can do with new technology. When I started this company, um, we were driving a little Ford Falcon, which was a well, let's just say it wasn't a luxury car. And on good days, we could get it to start. <laughs> uh, it was kind of a hand-me-down car. 
Um, took a lot of maintenance. And, you know, we'd stop the gas station and uh, check the gas and fill the oil because it burned so much oil. <laughs> but the, the car, um, you know, it, it got me to work. And one day, one of the guys that eventually gave me the watch, he put his arm around me and says, you know, you're running a big uh, public corporation now. We went on, on the NASDAQ exchange. He said, you know, you're embarrassing the company by driving that old clunker. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of fun to see how a good idea, a good technology, can give you a lot of opportunities. And, and you know, if you are successful financially, there's a lot of good things you can do. You can do other experiments, and you can help a lot of people, and, and you can start things like a cellist. <laughs> So uh, this watch is kind of a symbol of that, and, and sometimes I'll show it to students that are saying calculus is too hard. Say, I remember the day when I told my dad, I'm dropping out of college. Why? I can't learn calculus. And he inspired me to stay in. <laughs> Won't go into the details, but <laughs> the point is, uh, yes, sometimes you're going to bump into something that is hard to learn, and it takes effort. And you have to develop your mind and your ability to memorize and learn like any other muscle. But you can, and there is a great reward for doing it. Well, anyway, the science fair is probably one of the things that most launched me in doing something practical with science. I, I was always fascinated by science, but the science fair made me actually do something. And my, my last year of high school, my science fair project was the world's first hydrogen car. And now, quite a few years later, hydrogen cars are starting to catch on, and they're being made all over the world. And I think in, in 10 years, we're going to see a lot more hydrogen cars. There's, Thousands and thousands being built now, but there's going to be a lot more. And to think that I was able to be the one that started that is really kind of neat. Uh, people look at me, and and you know, I was I was maybe about 50 years early. The world wasn't quite ready for hydrogen cars yet, but it's it's exciting to think that you can get an idea, and then using science and math and the tools of engineering and inventioneering, you can turn it into something useful, something that will change the world, something that will solve a lot of the world's problems. And that's one of the reasons why we have Science Live is because we want to inspire students to really do great things with their lives. When we finished our um, approximately a year with Bill Lear, I looked back and tried to figure out, out of all the things he taught me, because I went everywhere with him for that year, uh, I wondered what was the most valuable thing that I learned. And you know, it's not like there was some secret. We talked about a lot of the kind of things we talked about here in Science Live. But now, after many years of looking back on that experience and then applying it in my own lifetime, having my own successes and sometimes my own failures, the thing that I learned that is most valuable to me from Bill Lear 
is that I could do it. What could I do? I could do science. I could do technology. I could start a company. I could make a technology and really make it go. And you say, well, everybody knows they can do it. But, you know, I really didn't. I always thought, you know, there's just people from other planets or something that do things <laughs> like that. But Bill Lear was just um, a wonderful man, but he was a man. And he did it by going out where he wanted to do something and where he didn't have the answers and finding them. He would ask, he would read, he would study, he would do experiments, he would research, and he was very persistent, and eventually he made things happen. And you know, he was doing it exactly in the tradition of his mentor, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison would get onto a project, he'd work so hard, whether it was the light bulb, and he didn't just make a light bulb. Some people made a light bulb, but nobody used them. But Thomas Edison made a generator, and he buried the wires, and he did the whole thing. And he was also a visionary in telling the story. A lot of people said, you know, I'm going to make a light, and I'm going to light up part of New York City. And that sounds pretty amazing. But Thomas Edison didn't say that. He said, in the next three years, I'm going to free one square mile of New York City from darkness. This <laughs> <laughs> is really gets exciting. It is exciting. And he went. I like that. Or was it? No. <laughs> Somewhere. That first one. Bill Lear taught me that I could do it. And you know, my my wonderful father who I'm so grateful for. He's, he's passed away now, but I, I honor and remember him. But the way that he fed my family and took care of us is he delivered mail for the United States Post Office. It was a mail carrier. And uh, it uh, was really an honor for me many years later, after winning the science fair and starting my company, I got a contract from the United States Post Office to deliver, to have a hydrogen-powered mail jeep to deliver the mail in Independence, Missouri, powered by hydrogen, and proving the concept. And I was one of the forerunners of the many, many fleets of hydrogen cars that are around today. And can we find a photo of the, the hydrogen mail jeep? It's kind of fun. If I didn't warn her, so I could get words after we're through today. Get words. Yeah. But, uh, you know, to be able to do that, my father was so proud after all those years of delivering mail and, you know, we went in to see the postmaster general and he got excited about it and it was a pretty neat project. So Bill Lear taught me I can do it. And if there's something I could really pass on, it would be that you can do it. Uh, here at the Institute of Science and Technology, which is a school of engineering, we like to think that the, the concept of engineering started here with our doctor, Jeffrey Pardo, and, and the people that built the academy. But one of the students that came here to study was a young woman that wasn't sure she was very technical and wasn't sure she could do it, but she did. And she became an electrical engineer, and then she started her own company 
in technology and she ran it for seven years and she was very, very successful. She sold her company, she retired and came back to help, which is really neat. And I believe that was right here at the Institute of Science and Technology where she learned she could do it. And once she found out she could, and she studied and learned some math and some science and so forth, she did, and she did it real well. Well, I'd like now to pull up this photograph. Here it is, the hydrogen-powered Jeep. And you notice we have some uh, neighborhood kids here <laughs> in the photograph looking at it. But this Jeep had a powdered hydrogen tank, metal hydride tank, and it delivered mail and they did the project here in Independence for one year. I think we have another shot. This is actually where we're refueling it, and we would connect up this line, and it was like inflating a tire, because hydrogen's a gas, would hook up the line and then open the valve, and the hydrogen would flow into this tank and form the new white powder, metal hydride, and then we'd drive, we, we could drive all day delivering the mail, and then the, every night they'd, they'd fill it up. And it's a pretty neat project. So, you can. You can. So what do you think? So would you like to give us some words of encouragement about we can? Well, you can. I know you can. No, we're talking about you can. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it, it was a journey. It really was. And realizing that I could do it actually was a process. And... Um, I was wondering when you were talking just now if that may have been a big mistake to show me that I can do it because, boy, have I become aggressive in certain things knowing that I can. And realize when you know that, it's hard to ever go back. Very and big mistake. Very, very <laughs> big mistake. <laughs> I wonder if he regrets really ingraining that into me. You know, there's a lot of, oh. of ladies that think they can't do it in mm -hmm. technology, and there are a lot of guys. I love science, but I didn't ever think that, you know, with my background and everything, that I would be that great. And it seemed like it was hard for me to learn math. It was hard for me to learn some of these things. But when I met Bill Lear, I found out, you know, he's just a guy, just like I'm just a guy. And he did it because he decided he was going to. Mm -hmm. His wife told us the story about the first time she ever went on a ride in a Learjet, and it was the chairs he set up in the kitchen and he told her okay we're taking off and he dreamed the dream and then he made the dream come true if you study hard and believe in yourself that'll happen to you too see you next time